Hello, my lovelies. This is May Kay Sang, your podcast guesting strategist and mentor, cat lover, and the proud host of the Quiet Rebels podcast. This is the place for experts on the rise who are finally ready to stop playing small and to start showing up as the leader they've always been. And contrary to what you might think, you don't have to be the loudest person in the room in order to be heard. You've always been the type to see things differently, and you've always chosen another pathway if the one laid out in front of you just doesn't align with your way of life. You're not alone in this. So to help you on your journey, I'm bringing conscious conversations to the table with myself and guest experts who will help you with the inner work that needs to be done in order to make a positive impact on the world with what you do. I see you. And now it's time to hear you, my friend. So please welcome to The Quiet Rebellion. You're listening to The Quiet Rebels podcast, episode number 66. And before we jump into today's interview, I'm so excited to let you know that this episode is brought to you by my Sustainable Visibility Incubator. If this is the first time you're hearing about this, then I want to let you know it is my six-month high-touch group coaching program, where I'll take you through a three-phase process to help you break out of the cycle of inconsistency when it comes to your visibility. It is all to help you become truly aligned with your message that you actually want to amplify. And I'm bringing this into existence, my friend, because many of the conversations that are happening online right now around visibility is pretty much put yourself out there, do this, and that will happen, start before you're ready, all the things. And while, of course, action is a crucial part of your visibility, what's also important is to become aware of the reasons why you're not showing up. And trust me when I say it is not because you're lazy, it's not because it's just fallen on the bottom of your priority list, it's not because you're bad at time management or even imposter syndrome. That's all at the surface. Because what visibility is all about is being seen. And unless you have done the inner work to help you create space, and develop a capacity to receive this volume of people who will come your way through your visibility work, it will not be sustainable. And that's why in this group coaching program, it's all about aligning it to your lifestyle, your goals, your strengths, your personality. So that way, as you show up, you do want to be seen and you want to amplify. So if you're somebody who's interested in doing the deep work in order to do the outer work and sustain it long-term, I would love to see you inside the program. And due to the intimate nature of this work, this will be by application only to ensure that each individual is specifically chosen for this work. So if you are interested in applying for a space, be sure to follow the link in the show notes for the application and follow the steps from there. I really can't wait to hear from you, my lovely, because honestly, this program needs to be brought into existence now to ensure that your visibility is sustained for the long term. So I can't wait to see you there. And now on with the interview. 
Oh, it has been a while since we've had a very strategic episode, like super step-by-step, super practical. And that's exactly what I want to give you because I know that in the last few months, even, we've had a lot of conversations on the podcast on a lot of mindset around showing up. And one key area that shows up time and time and time again when it comes to the struggle of visibility is on social media. Which is why this is the first of a few episodes I've got coming up for you in the podcast to help you show up in different ways. And you basically just pick and choose which one you like. And today's focus is 100% LinkedIn. And in this episode, my lovely, we have pretty much been graced with a mini masterclass on all things LinkedIn. And it was much needed because I don't know about you, but for me, Facebook and Instagram, those platforms have always been super easy for me to use. But LinkedIn never was. And a part of me already knows that there's so much opportunity there, but I just felt this block. It felt like a uphill battle because in the past, it was pretty much a place where you would upload your CVs and your resumes and, you know, to find different jobs and just to really build up your personal profile. But as a place, for an entrepreneur, hmm, not quite sure how to spin that. <laughs> Which is why I brought on an expert who was able to demystify this misconception of LinkedIn for online entrepreneurs. And she pretty much gives us a step-by-step masterclass on how to develop valuable and memorable content for you to generate consistent leads organically. And my guest, she's a multiple six-figure business owner. And she built this solely on organic leads through LinkedIn, which is pretty damn amazing. And so that's why I'm really glad that we're going to be walking through this masterclass step-by-step and we talk through all the things like how many times a week should you post? What should you post? And what type of content? Do you do a video or do you do written? I ask all the questions. You're welcome. (laughs) That's why I'm so excited to welcome to the virtual stage the one and only Mikhail Isikowitz. Hello, my dear Quietables. I am so excited for today's guest on the show because she is a master when it comes to LinkedIn. So this is a social media platform that we haven't spoken about on the podcast before. And of all the people that I wanted to, uh, who actually came to mind when it came to LinkedIn, like Mikhail was at the top of the list. So I want you to join me in giving a warm welcome to Mikhail Isikowitz, who's going to be geeking out with us today on all things LinkedIn and how you can really leverage this platform organically to build your business. Thanks for having me. (laughs) All right. So before we get into all the nitty-gritty, I'd love to know how you became a master in LinkedIn. So it's amazing that you've generated over $100,000 in revenue each year through LinkedIn. So I'd love to know kind of like where you were before and how LinkedIn was really like the catapult for you in really putting yourself out there. So it's really interesting. I have a weird story of how I kind of fell into LinkedIn. It was not very intentional or strategic. I had just started my freelance copywriting business and I knew I had to get active on one of the social platforms. I was literally a social media ignoramus. I was completely inactive on all social platforms. And I knew that I needed to get my game going on at least one of them. 
And LinkedIn was just the natural choice for me because I already had a profile up there. So I was kind of set up and I just started playing around. Like I wasn't posting very strategically. I was just kind of posting thoughts that I thought were interesting, valuable, insightful, and getting my voice out there and getting my thoughts out there without thinking, well, if I do this very consistently, if I have a whole system, then I'm going to start generating leads. It was more like an experiment. Let's see how this goes. And what I discovered after doing that for about a month or two was that not only was it starting to generate leads for my business, but I was really enjoying it. It was almost like, I guess I needed a little bit of a soapbox or I just, I appreciated having an audience who gave me that feedback and enjoyed my content. And it was just such an easy way to get myself out there. And I said, hey, this is not only profit generating potentially, but also fun. So that's really how I, I started on LinkedIn. I started about two years ago. And I will say that when I started, LinkedIn was full of garbage content. It was not a great platform in terms of the content creators. There weren't a lot of content creators. Most of the stuff people were putting out is like super corporate, stuffy sounding. And so if you actually put out solid content on LinkedIn, the algorithm loved you and blasted out your stuff to the world. So it was really, really easy to get that visibility when I started. I was kind of like, LinkedIn's been around for a while, but it only focused on great content fairly recently. So I was in that golden age of LinkedIn, as I call it, where you're like sort of an early adopter and it was much, much easier to climb the ladder and get that following without so much effort and consistency. So I do tell that to people who try to do the same thing today, while you can definitely get the same results that I got, because I know, I know so because I'm mentoring students who are currently doing it and succeeding on LinkedIn. At the same time, it's going to take a lot more effort and strategy than when I did it. And it was just like, let's see what happens. And after a month or two, I was already seeing results. Wow. Okay. Well, it's good to know that you are one of the people in the golden age of LinkedIn. And because you brought up a really good point that for the longest time, I think LinkedIn has been stereotypically known as the more like quote unquote, like super corporate and professional to the point where it's like, oh, not quite sure whether I belong here, if I'm a personal brand or anything like that. So it's good to know that that's not the case now per se. And it's actually really catching on in regards to the kind of content that we can put there and actually still having, you know, visibility reach for the people that we want to connect with. So thank you for breaking it down, like where you were. And so it's very clear to me that, you know, you mentioned that you're a mentor, that you're a natural teacher and you've taught workshops and you've spoken on a couple of stages, like on the topic. So I'd love to kind of hear from you, like how we can get started. Like if I were to ask you the first question, like who is LinkedIn for and who is it not for? Because Social media platforms, they do cater to um, certain niches um, and industries. So what would you say about that? That's a great question. So LinkedIn is all about B2B business, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's th that's actually what attracted me also to the platform is that it's a very focused professional platform. So everyone who's there hanging out there wants to do business. They're not wasting time. They're not sending out memes, stupid memes for the most part, but and, and, and therefore, it, it's very good for people who don't want to get lost in that social media hole 
and waste hours of time. Although you can waste hours on LinkedIn <laughs> easily, if you're not careful. So I would say that B2B service providers are absolutely a good fit for LinkedIn because that's where your, your crowd is. That said, there are fewer personal brands on LinkedIn. So hmm. for example, if you're a copywriter who specializes in copy for course creators, but not just course creators, like uh, more like B2C course creators. Um, so that might be stuff around beauty, health, wellness, things like that. So they might not be hanging out on LinkedIn as much because they hang out where their audience is, which is more likely Facebook or Instagram. So industries that are heavily visual or in general B2C, lifestyle industries, hospitality, they're less so on LinkedIn. Anything more B2B, so like if you specialize in course creators who are helping freelancers, who are helping designers, then they're going to be on LinkedIn. They should be on LinkedIn because that's where service providers hang out. Mm, okay, that's a really great distinction. And um, almost all of the you know listeners of the Quiet Rebels podcast are actually in B2B anyway, so that's wonderful. <laughs> so we're definitely in the right place. Yay. All right, so that's who it's for and who it's not for. And so for you, like you mentioned that it's, it took you like a couple of months like when you started to get results from LinkedIn. So for you to get to a point in your business now where you generate like multiple six figures, like how long did it take for you to like start seeing these results? Like I, I know I just kind of like went back on myself a little bit, <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? So for you kind of like, you mentioned that you did it almost by accident. So what started to work for you in order for these results to become natural? So I started getting leads pretty much one or two months in from my posting career. That said, the leads at the beginning were much lower quality. So I was starting out, my business was newer, I was newer, I had less skills. So we're talking about smaller projects, smaller budgets. Uh, I kept at it. And what I discovered about six months after getting active on LinkedIn, I rolled out my new website. And what happened then was my lead gen exploded, like literally exploded to the point where I had to stop posting on LinkedIn because I could not handle the flow of leads coming in. And what I realized then is that I was missing a key part of the sales funnel because people were impressed with my LinkedIn content. They checked on my LinkedIn profile. They liked that too. But then they would go to my website, which was the most embarrassing thing you had ever seen. It was this horrible one pager with branding all over the place. And I wish I saved it and screenshotted it just so I could show people how bad it was every time they compliment me on my new website, because it'll give people hope that as bad as their <laughs> website is today, it can be much better. So it was really embarrassing. And I think that that's where most of the high quality leads were dropping off. So once I had this new website in place, not only did my lead flow literally quadruple, but I was getting much better and higher quality leads. And what I found at that point was that if I consistently posted, if I kept up with the posting two to three times a week, then I could pretty much rely on a steady flow. And um, when I talk about steady, we're talking about like three to four leads per week two of whom were usually very high quality. So mm -hmm. it was really, really nice. And, and, and I have gone through periods in my business since where I intentionally stopped posting on LinkedIn because I was booked out for a while. 
didn't want to deal with more leads. Scaling the service business takes time. And while I am trying to scale my agency, I now have what's called a micro agency and I'm trying to work on scaling it further. But until that point, I didn't want to waste people's time and I didn't want to waste my own time dealing with prospects who I could not serve yet. So I have been kind of taking breaks on and off. And the other cool thing about LinkedIn is that what I have found is that once you reach a certain status of content creator on LinkedIn, once you have enough of a following and people are kind of primed to engage with your stuff because they know that you're going to put out good content, you don't have to be as consistent and prolific mm -hmm. at some point. So for me, that was probably at about a year mm -hmm. of posting. So I, I could go down to like posting once a week or even once in two weeks and I would still get pretty decent engagement, which is cool. So it's like you don't have to be on that hamster wheel your entire career. Mm, that's really awesome to know. And you, you mentioned like reaching a certain status. Is that something that LinkedIn actually awards you? You know how like Facebook, it kind of like when you're in a group, depending on how your content is like how people are engaging with your posts and stuff, it will actually give you a statistics, like a visual storyteller or something like that. Is LinkedIn the same or do you mean like just something that you feel more intuitively when you've reached a certain status? So I think it's both. The algorithm, LinkedIn's algorithm is a mystery. Everyone's always trying to figure it out and it seems to keep changing. But I am pretty confident that the algorithm pegs you at a certain point as a valuable content creator because you see it you see it with content creators who have posted really great content they could literally post good morning and like within three hours they have 600 likes oh my god so something doesn't add up there right mm. so so i think it's a combination of people being conditioned to like yourself mm. and you know the combination of social proof like once a person is consistently getting 50 to 100 likes on their post, it's like it almost almost becomes automatic to just add your like to the mix, right? Mm. So it's a combination of the engagement of your audience and also the algorithm saying this content is probably going to be good. Let's distribute it and give it good exposure. And then like you said, with the intuition, I think it's also a certain confidence that you gain with time on the platform that comes through in your content. Mm right so that's okay so the algorithm is a mystery but posting quality content <laughs> is the key as it is like for many other platforms but I'm my ears really packed up when you said that consistency for you meant two to three times a week and I'm not sure if you are on Instagram as well or Facebook at all but for us there like the all the experts are saying like oh you got to post like once a day and in my head oh my god there's so much content that you but you're saying two to three times a week is sufficient so long as it's, you know, it's intentional and it's there to provide value that can actually be enough. Absolutely. And as long as it's combined with an engagement, some level of engagement with other people's content. So what I advise people to do is to spend 15 minutes a day scrolling through their feed, searching out good people to follow and commenting with insightful thoughtful comments on interesting posts like not just great posts but something meatier and more meaningful yeah okay so that's how we can it's kind of like um what's it called tip for tap something like that, mm -hmm. <laughs> <Not> that yeah. <laughs> sorry i make myself laugh um but yeah so not only that you like putting out the content but also kind of taking the time to engage in others as well so it's kind of like yeah. oh it's a two-way street here 
Yeah. And not, not just that, but when you post great comments or interesting comments, the algorithm notices that too. So mm -hmm. people start liking your comment and you can actually get great visibility that way as well. So it's a strategic move for yourself directly. I actually know several copywriters who are at a stage in their lives where creating regular content on LinkedIn is just not feasible for them right now. So what they do is take the approach of consistent engagement with others' content. Mm -hmm. And they post these insightful comments. And I know these copywriters have gotten multiple leads, multiple high-quality leads just from their comments. So it's actually something to consider if you feel like you're in a, in a position where you just cannot create content or you don't have time, the, engaging with other people's posts can also be really effective. Mm -hmm. Well, that definitely helps to take off the pressure. And yeah, when you like just like come from a place of like no attachment whatsoever and you just want to help and support someone else, like people are going to see that and like, oh, okay, this, this person seems pretty interesting. Let me learn more about him or her. So, okay. That's amazing to know. So we talked about content. So what kind, do you have different content types that you recommend that we experiment with? Um, I mean, I don't know LinkedIn very well, but do you leverage the article feature, for example, or is it mainly just posting on your profile? Like, what's it like for you? A day in the life of posting on LinkedIn, what is that like? <laughs> This is a really important question, actually, because there are different formats you can use for content on LinkedIn, and some have a much better, some have a great organic reach, and some have literally zero organic reach, the latter being articles, for example. Okay. So articles, I used to tell people that the only reason to write an article on LinkedIn is because it sits on your profile. Mm -hmm. even visually, it was very high up on your profile, the last two articles you wrote. So when people would check out your profile, if you wrote an interesting, relevant article, they would check that out. So there was value to the articles, even though when you actually posted the articles, you barely got any engagement. So it's kind of like over time it built up. Recently, LinkedIn changed the format of your profile page. And now the articles do not sit on your profile page that you can still access them. If people are really interested in your content, they can click on your content and check out your articles, but it's not a default feature on your profile. So it's much less important than it used to be. So basically my recommendation is invest all your time or most of your time in text only and video posts. Those are the two formats that do really well. You can also do text plus image, but the algorithm favors those less and you'll get less organic reach with that. Definitely do not share external links or external articles. The algorithm is primed to keep people on the platform. So any external link, it's going to devalue. And the other format that some people do is a PDFs and documents. You can also post those. I find that those can go either way. Sometimes they do really well and sometimes they get the same kind of engagement as images. The ones that I've found to consistently give me and my students the highest engagement are text only and videos. Videos, recently, the algorithm is really trying to push videos. So if you do video well, which includes subtitles, that's really, really important. I think it's something like 60% of people on LinkedIn watch videos without sound. Mm. So if you don't have subtitles, you're losing a massive amount of listeners. 
So if you have a great video presence and you can do polished edited videos without rambling, which is like a very common issue, then go for it. Go for video. If you're a natural writer and you love writing, then text only is also great. All right. So I love that you just like really categorize the kind of post style. So basically, let's not do articles <laughs> and to focus mainly on text only and videos with subtitles. So I know you've done like quite a few videos on on your as I say podcast on on your profile. And so with regards to the subtitles, like do you transcribe them yourself or do you outsource that or does LinkedIn actually already have that embedded somewhere because I know for Facebook, for example, there is like an auto transcriber there, but I'm curious to hear what it's like for LinkedIn. So I'm actually not sure about that. I think on mobile, with the LinkedIn mobile app, there is some kind of built-in feature. Mm -hmm. uh, I personally use like, I only do LinkedIn when I'm on my computer and working. I don't have it on my phone. So for me, I just use Rev and it's, it's pretty cheap. I pay yeah. for that. All right. And how long do you recommend, like, because you mentioned not rambling. So I'm guessing these are like short and sweet videos. Um, what's the sweet spot that you found in your experience? So what the, what the research officially says is 60 seconds, no more than 60 seconds, 30 to 60 seconds. That said, if you're really prepared and you're really engaging and it's edited well, you can go for two, three, five minutes easily and retain your audience. I, I know there was one coach on LinkedIn who one posted a video. It was like a story of a nightmare client of hers. Okay. And she's a really good storyteller. She was doing it with all these animated just motions and she really got you into it. And her video was something like 12 minutes long and she had an insane amount of engagement. So it really, it really depends on you, but if you're not sure, go shorter. Mm, okay. So 30 to 60 seconds is the official, <laughs> but yeah. there are outliers it's like the 12 minute storyteller, <laughs> mm -hmm. which I now I want to watch actually myself. You mentioned animation. I was like, my ears like just parked. I was like, Ooh, that sounds so interesting. <laughs> so for you, do you do like bite size, like under a minute sort of ones, or do you do like more two to five minute types? So honestly, I don't do enough video. I've only, I've done a minimal amount of video on the platform, mostly because it takes more effort, mm. it takes more, it's a, it's a greater time investment. So it's preparing for the video, setting up your lighting, setting up your screen, getting those subtitles. For me, writing comes very quickly. Mm -hmm. So while I do spend a lot of time on my post, getting them just right, it's, it's a much more seamless way for me to create content. So I end up doing text only posts a lot more often, but my videos, when I have done video, they've performed really nicely. Mm, yeah. So work within your means and your own bandwidth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a, a wise rule for lots of areas of life. Yes. And speaking of areas of life, if we can like just like briefly switch gears for a minute. I mean, like you guys can't see Mikhail right now, but she's like, so like, I don't know, I, I don't know how to like put it into words, but she's she's so pretty. <laughs> she's oh, so like you. so well put together. Her hair is like so gorgeous and curled and she's got that green nice lipstick on. And she has like a super successful business and she also has four young kids. So how do you balance that all? I'm so curious. <laughs> I, I'm very good at putting on a superwoman facade when I need to. That's the short answer, right? <laughs> I, first of all, I, I, I am like very, very possessive about my time. Mm. So 
I, I think very hard about which projects I want to take, which emails I want to answer. Um, I'm, I'm getting better at that. I'm getting better at saying no or just ignoring things that are not going to move me forward. So that's been huge for me, just really trying to focus my time. I get a lot of help. I mean, right now it's Corona life, but I tell this to, to uh, female entrepreneurs all the time that like you really cannot do it all, if, especially if you have kids. And what that means is that you need to outsource whatever you can. So for me, that's cleaning health and housekeeping. Right now, like I said, that's not happening, which is uniquely challenging to put it nicely. But I usually have a lot of help in that area. I have a lot of help with, with food preparation, um, shopping. I do online. Uh, my husband is really supportive, which makes a huge difference. You really need that. You need that partnership half and half. And a lot of things just don't happen as well as they should. Like something's got to give. So I think that, that especially mothers need to be kind to themselves like that and stop feeling guilty over serving omelets for supper, omelets and vegetables once a week, or, you know, just doing like the bare minimum sometimes or not making that super fancy cake that you, you know, that you were thinking of making for the birthday, but making something meaningful and small instead. So there's no such thing as having it all. There really isn't. I think Sheryl Sandberg talks about this a lot. So um, I'm being real. Like my, my house is often not as neat or clean as I want it to be. And I'm making a conscious choice. I'm making a choice that I want to build my business. And I see this as an investment to the future when my kids won't be as young and needy and right. And I'll be able to have that clean house and a flourishing business. So uh, I think it's important to keep that perspective and just to be very conscious of what your, what your priorities are. Mm. And I'm really glad that you brought this up because as someone who doesn't yet have the kids, um, I do have a partner, but we're not married yet. So like my responsibility is obviously very different from yours. So it's really amazing to hear like how you can do not at all, but you can do a lot, even with, you know, young kids around and a lot of them <laughs> in your case. So it's, um, it's really inspiring to hear from you. So thank you for that. Yeah. And, and by the way, having, I mean, having four kids is, is a challenge, but in some ways I feel like the kids enjoy each other and kind of keep each other company a lot, which mm. may be easier actually than having one or two kids. So it has its pros and cons, like even <laughs> just from a practical perspective. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for now I'm due to like buy my fur babies, like my kittens. <laughs> so oh, I exciting. Yeah, I can't wait for them to come into my life. So when I do have children, they'll also have like the fur babies to keep them company. <laughs> so that's another idea. That's great. <laughs> that's a lower that's a lower maintenance option, right? <laughs> yeah, especially, especially cats because they pretty much take care of themselves. <laughs> so that's awesome. All right. So now let's uh, like briefly switch gears back. So I do want to be respectful of your time. So thank you so much for everything you shared so far about LinkedIn because it's been like this big, blob of mystery for me but you've just broken it down to such tangible steps and so I think one of the last questions I'd like to ask you is posting consistently whether that's two to three times a week text only or video you've done a lot of like work in regards to the content so how is it that you've managed to shift 
someone who's interested in your content to actually interested in working with you. So for example, you mentioned about not linking to external things when you're posting. Can we do the same shortcut that, that we do on Facebook where it's like we post a link in the comments or, or is that still picked up? Like, I'm curious to hear about that before we get into the nitty gritty. Yeah, that's definitely an effective trick. And I do that all the time. Oh. So you can post the link in the comments without being penalized. Ah, okay. Yes, we can still do that. All right. And so, um, so I'm going to circle back to the original question, which is like, how do you create that transition piece between someone who just enjoys your content to someone actually thinking of the idea of actually working with you? So actually, I don't create that transition piece. It oh. happens very organically. That's been my experience. Basically, what I tell people is that LinkedIn is like a funnel, right? The top of the funnel is your content. If you get people interested in your content, they will check out your profile. If they're interested in your profile, if they find it compelling and it speaks to their needs, they will direct message you or they might go check out your website at that point and send you an inquiry. So that's the lowest part of the funnel. So sometimes it'll take months of seeing your content before the person either has a copywriting need or whatever your business you're in. Uh, then you're top of mind and they're like, yes, I know she knows what she's doing. I want to get in touch with her. And sometimes it'll take months just to build up that trust mm -hmm. so that finally they're like, you know something, I want to spring for it. I want to pay that $6,500 for a website. So what I found is just when you keep at it with that high value content, we can talk about what high value content looks like in a minute, but when you really keep at it consistently, the, the leads do come naturally and i have not done any cold outreach on linkedin mm -hmm. so if someone initiates a conversation with me i will definitely respond like not the generic kind of conversation of like hi how are you <laughs> and i'm like no i'm not spending my time on that right um or like let's get on a 15-minute chat no i'm not doing that either right um, but if it's like a pointed question of like i loved your podcast that i heard last week and something like that. And it's a really meaningful, meaty conversation that I'm definitely going to engage like that. And that's how you deepen your relationships on LinkedIn. But I, have to, I haven't found that I had to really direct sell. There are content creators who do recommend periodically reminding people of what you offer and what they can do to get it, which, which makes sense. And I'm not, I'm not against it. I just haven't kind of done it and I haven't needed it, but it makes sense that every so often you want to clarify what you do and how people can access your expertise. So like, but, but obviously not in a sales way, but it's kind of like you can weave it into a piece of content or something like that. Basically a lot of your clients are going to be what I call LinkedIn lurkers. Mm. So that means that they will never engage with your content. They will never like or comment on your stuff. But after six months, they'll get in touch with you and they'll be like, I love your stuff on LinkedIn. I want to work with you. And you're like, who are you? Right. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. So many people are seeing your content and getting impressed by it and they're just silent. And so until they show up, you won't know about them, but especially business owners, like a lot of the people who comment on my posts are service providers, other creatives, so copywriters, designers, developers, but like big business owners or like SaaS founders won't often take the time to engage, but they're kind of, they have their antenna up and they're looking for talent. 
So it's important to keep that in mind that even if you don't have those big names engaging with your content, they may very well be seeing your stuff and you don't know where that's, you know, the seed you planted will take you. Mm, that's a really good point. And I think I love how that there's a term for it, LinkedIn lurkers. <laughs> yeah, I coined it. Yeah, love it. All right. So it's actually quite refreshing to hear from you that you haven't had to do the direct sell or like, you know, the, the strategic segue into your services that you just basically shown up with value and your profile is articulated in such a way that it does convey the value you can provide on a professional level when they work with you. But um, yeah, I think that's really awesome. So thank you for really clarifying how powerful LinkedIn really is. Sure. And, and not to say that that cold outreach can't be effective on LinkedIn as well. And some people are really good at it and I'm sure it works for them. I know it works for them because there are companies whose entire model is based on cold outreach on LinkedIn or helping you do cold outreach on LinkedIn. So I know it must work for some people, but personally it makes me feel icky. So it's mm -hmm. nice to know for people like me that it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, 100%. <sighs> okay, so we've covered quite a lot with LinkedIn and if there was somebody who's listening right now who's kind of dabbled with LinkedIn or maybe they haven't even touched LinkedIn at all, they don't even have a profile, apart from starting a profile, <laughs> what is one action step that you feel will be the most effective for them if they were to start today? So I'd say go ahead and optimize the four most important pieces of your profile. So those pieces are what I call the four H's, your headshot, your header, which is, can also be called your background banner, the image behind your headshot, your headline, which is your title under your name, and your hook, that's H number four, which is what I call that first sentence or two that gets people to read your summary, right? The mm -hmm. summary is like that 2000 character piece right under your headline. So those H's are the most important pieces of your profile, not just because that, those are what people read first, but it's actually what the algorithm looks at to rank you for various searches. So headshot, this is probably obvious to all or most of your listeners, but it's gotta be professional. So crisp, clear, natural light, invest in a good headshot. Don't have other people's arms around you or pets or, <laughs> right, or wedding photos. After the headshot, you really want to use that generic blue background in the back and customize it. So even if you're not gonna go ahead and have a designer create something really unique and branded, go onto Canva or at the very least, even a stock image is better and presents you as more intentional than just that horrible generic black background. So that would be H number two, that header, and H number three is your headline. So that's really important. You wanna communicate clearly what you do, but you also want to intrigue enough that people wanna click and learn more about you. So what I tell people is to do a combination. Like if you're a copywriter, don't hide the fact that you're a copywriter with something so clever and cryptic that people are like, what, what does she do, right? And not only that, but if someone's searching for a copywriter on LinkedIn, you really wanna rank for that search. So you do want to include your actual title, what you do officially in the headline, but you have 120 characters to work with. So try to come up with something a little bit more creative, a little bit more memorable for the rest of the characters, whether that might be something as straightforward as your niche. So that's one way to stand out. You can stand out with maybe hitting on a specific pain point that you are uniquely qualified to solve. 
but there's got to be a way for you to stand out among the sea of copywriters on LinkedIn with that headline. So that's something really important. And, and you also might want to just call out to your ideal audience. So let's say you write copy for course creators, that should be in your headline. Mm. And then the fourth hook is really stuff that any copywriter will know. The hook is the most important part. If they don't read the hook, they don't read the rest of it. So it's about just starting off with a bang. I always recommend to kind of focus on the customer first. So while some people think that the LinkedIn summary is like a bio, like I have a demonstrated history of X, Y, Z. No, as a service provider, if you have a business, it's really a sales page. And that's, what, that's how you should look at that section mm. on how you're going to sell yourself most effectively. Mm. Okay. So I know that people are naturally going to be wondering what an optimized profile looks like, which actually beautifully leads me to the next question. So where can we go to find you on LinkedIn and to further connect with you if we want to, you know, get to know you better because you've given such, it's literally been like a mini masterclass (laughs) for LinkedIn, which is awesome. So thank you so much for being generous with your knowledge. And so where can we go to find you? Pleasure. So I'd absolutely love if you connected with me on LinkedIn. I love expanding my network with quality people. And you can also go check out my website, michalisikowitz.com. Also getperfectcopy.com, easier to spell. (laughs) Um, And you can sign up for my list there and uh, hear from me that way. Yeah, I'd love to connect. Yeah, and I'll be sure to pop um, those links in the show notes. And by the way, guys, she has the most amazing website. She's been like the core like website crush for many people. <laughs> like myself, personally, our mutual mentors, um, Rob Marsh and Kira Hug as well. But ever since Mikhail actually was on their podcast, like I, I checked it out. Oh my God, okay. Like hashtag goals right here. <laughs> so definitely check out her website as well, um, you know, to see how a pro really does it. So yeah, I'll pop this link there. So I've got one final question for you and then I'll let you go because I know you're a busy woman. <laughs> so actually no, technically two questions. <laughs> okay, so number one is you're on the Quiet Rebels podcast today. So I'd love to hear from you what you think a Quiet Rebel actually is because it's always interesting to hear like multiple perspectives. Sure. So to me, a rebel is someone who goes against the grain, someone who questions the status quo. So the quiet rebel would be someone who goes about creating change without all the talk and ado that sometimes people get sucked into when going, when going in, when when doing something big in life of creating that change. So the quiet rebel to me is someone who with their actions is actually disrupting a status quo without all the hoopla and hype that comes with it and i think those are like the most impressive change makers really i love that definition thank you very much for defining us that way and my final question for you and and this is for the quiet rebels who if you've listened to this podcast a lot then you know what's happening next but in case it's your first episode and you're learning about linkedin you're gonna love this question so when you hear the sound effect it means it is time for a fact of the day, which is when I ask my special guest, who is literally on a hot seat right now, <laughs> to share something that 
they haven't really openly talked about on their website or social media, like a crazy fun story or a little fun fact about them. So I'm going to turn the tables on you right now, Mikhail. So what's one thing that us quiet rebels can know about you that not really anyone else knows? Okay, so here's a super embarrassing story that actually predates my copywriting career, but it's so humiliating that I feel like I, I could at least leverage it for the entertainment and it'll provide others. <laughs> so basically before my career as a copywriter, I actually trained as a speech language pathologist. I have a master's in communication sciences and I worked in that field for seven years. And I was supposed to start a new job one year at like this very prestigious preschool working with children and developing their language skills. And we had this meeting at the beginning of the year with all the staff members and, and the speech therapists and all the special educators sitting in a room. And of course I was late to the meeting. I'm usually not, but I was. So I was kind of the last person in the room and I was closest to the door. And the principal of the school gave this introductory speech and then said, we're gonna go around the room and introduce ourselves. It's like each person one at a time. So she's like, let's start with you. And she points to me and I'm like the newbie. I have no clue how things go in this place, but I was lucky enough to be the last one in the room. So I was chosen to be first and I get up and I say, hey, hi, I'm Michal Isikowitz. And I start like giving a little bit of a story about myself. Right, and here's where I come from, and here's where I've worked in the past, and here's why I'm excited to work here. And I'm just like going on for like not even that long, maybe like two minutes. And, and I start, I see I'm getting these like funny glances from people. <laughs> and then at some point, the principal's like, Okay, Michal, thank you so much. And she kind of like interjected, interrupted me, and I, I finally got it that like I was supposed to sit down. And basically, what emerged from the experience, everyone after me just got up, said their name and their title and sat down. So, <laughs> so here I was giving this whole speech about myself when that was not the protocol. And that, that, that moment just remains with me. So I'm like really careful about talking about myself and kind of defining the parameters of what people want to hear about me and for how long that's taught me a lot. And, uh, I, I hope you enjoy that because I, I'm, I'm still embarrassed about it today. And at least uh, you guys can enjoy that weird story about me. Oh, bless you. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And if it helps, the story that you told at the beginning, perfect. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> we're, we're looking forward to all those details. So thank you for sharing uh, that story with us and for all of your wisdom today. We really appreciate you. Thanks so much. It was really great to be here. And so my lovely, there we have it. So everything that we mentioned in today's interview will be popped into the show notes. So be sure to head for that link. And if you haven't done so already, I would so love it if you could subscribe to this podcast because that way you don't miss a single episode and another conscious conversation. And of course, if you feel cool too, I would so appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review because that really helps other quiet ripples find us. Oh my goodness. Okay. Another great episode. And so I will be back same place, same time next week for another episode of the Quiet Rebels podcast. So until then, my lovely, do take care and bye for now.